here in Ireland, everybody remembers Daniel Tomofte, and it's in my DNA, it's in his DNA. And I don't mind people talking about it, to be honest, as a good memory. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. Let's go to Qatar and say good morning and hello to Miguel Delaney. Miguel, how are you doing? Good morning, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, any trends that you've noticed so far in terms of uh, how the best teams are playing over the course of what's nearly the end of the group stages? Um, I'm not sure. I think it's probably been just too few games for trends. Uh, the one thing I would note, I suppose this was kind of predicted before the tournament began, is that there's a bit of a split between very young and fresh top teams who I, I suppose would be Spain, England to a degree, despite Southgate being there six years, but it's still quite a young squad. Um, Brazil, uh, and then these kind of teams that are arguably on the wrong side of a cycle, kind of gone a bit stale, Belgium being the standout. Uh, it, it, it doesn't mean it's kind of definitive. Uh, Germany, actually, another example and all that, despite Flick coming in, because they, they almost seem a bit of a halfway house. So it's not definitive, given I would have put Croatia in that group, but they, they almost took, took advantage of Canada's inexperience. Um, but it'll probably be kind of until the, really the, the last 16, the quarters, when a lot of these coaches have had two, two to three weeks to prepare, they will kind of see proper footballing trends. And also when you see kind of the real split in the competition between those there to kind of, I suppose, have a go and then those who are really serious about actually winning it. Yeah, and that um, that level of seriousness about uh, those teams, I, I suspect that the, 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 there isn't that, that significant gap. There isn't one team who are absolutely miles ahead of everybody just yet. Like, Brazil are good, but they're not absolutely sensational just yet. And that's why this World Cup is right there for probably six or eight yeah. teams. Well, actually, I, I mean, I, I would have said the most open until 2006. And I know people can point to how um, Germany weren't the favourites going in 2014 and France think were maybe, I'm not sure if they were, if they were full favourites going in 2018. But you could obviously see as the tournament went on, when you put it in its wider context, that these, like, they weren't just uh, teams in the kind of the first 11s and the squads coming to a peak. Spain, Germany and, and and France were all teams that were kind of the products of these longer term overhauls that have become basically, that have basically dictated international football for the last two de- decades where these wealthy Western European co- uh, countries industrialised youth production and England are the latest to do that after Spain, Germany and France. So uh, maybe that's a, ominous for anyone. It's a bit uh, <laughs> uh, reticent about the words it's coming home. But, um, but yeah, you're right. I think in in, in this competition... It, it, there, there is no super favourite like that. There's no kind of team that's complete. Uh, I think from all the games I've been to and what I've seen, the team that reached the highest level in any, in any one game, in fact, it was two games really, was Spain. But even in that second game against Germany, when I thought that for 20 minutes they were excellent, you can still see they're flawed. And I think like the biggest flaw with Spain almost seems like they're, they're actual, they're inexperienced. It, it feels like it might just be a cycle too soon, um, which kind of, which, with that inexperience almost feeding into, at times a real kind of almost naive overconfidence about what they're doing because they're willing to take absolutely any ball on or try any ball, no matter the area of the pitch. And it did put them in danger a few times. But that said, I mean, despite that inexperience, maybe that's their flaw as well as in a few, a few positions in their starting eleven. Uh, but again, g- given how open this competition is, that might not matter because I think I think. It's something I must say that, that struck me after that that, that Spain Germany game, especially given that the Germany have suddenly been given a chance again. 
in, in that when we think of teams that can win a World Cup, we always have kind of these imagined ideas of perfection. Uh, but that's not always the case. Uh, like, and there's a lot of champions who have won it, who have been big nations, but haven't necessarily been absolutely complete teams in that way. Although the last of those was probably Italy 2006. We might have another this year. You were in the uh, the England-Wales game last night, Miguel. Um, what was the atmosphere like? Because I guess it's one of those games where you'd expect a little bit of an atmosphere. Chesney Hawks maybe helped at halftime, I'm sure. <laughs> I actually, I found it quite a strange occasion, I have to say. I mean, it was the first time I was in that stadium, which is one of the, which is one of the smaller stadiums. Uh, and to be honest, it was really weird. It, it didn't feel like I was at a World Cup match. And obviously, so much about this really controversial tournament is quite alien uh, in terms of kind of the, the football staging, I would say, um, and, and also elements of, of Qatar, not least the fact that it's propped up by an underclass of people as it puts on this kind of uh, veneer. It, the, the whole thing is surrounded by artificiality, I would say. But um, but in this game, I mean, even like the first game where I felt like this is a real this is a World Cup atmosphere, we'll say Argentina, Saudi Arabia, because almost at the time of day, actually, and but also there were so many fans from both countries. Now, there are fans about Wales and England here, but I'm not sure what it was. I think it was something about the occasion. The fact that, yes, there was something on the line, but wasn't that much on the line because it would have taken a huge turnover for England not to qualify or finish top of the group and for Wales to get through. And it did just feel like almost kind of one of these friendlies between these two nations at some regional ground in England with that obviously accentuated by uh, by Chesney Hawks inexplicably coming on at half time. You strike me as a fan. Are you a fan of Chesney? Uh, well, I couldn't say I know any more than one song, which I'm sure is the... Same for a lot of people. Yeah, fair. <laughs> um, I guess the performance from England last night, it's hard to... It's hard to really judge where they're at after after the Welsh game. The Wales haven't been impressive at all, but uh, is Southgate getting any closer to knowing his best eleven, or does he need to even? Uh, I, no, I, think, I don't think Southgate knows it. Has to know his first eleven because, and I think one of his strengths, and he has, he does get a lot of criticism from a fair, but one of his strengths is kind of um, the way he uses that first eleven to kind of. Um, so it's a little bit like Graham Potter, if in a different way, in terms of it involves everyone, ensures no one, no one is really fixed in the team by the centre half. But I suppose that's actually another issue because I think it's possibly in that area. And I, th- I think the biggest question for England is really kind of really nailing their identity, which they, it still doesn't feel com- they completely have. And like Southgate touching this, he touched on after the USA game where he talked about like they're still almost they can be two different teams. In one game they were they got the defence right. And, yeah, and USA did really press them, to be fair. And in the other games, they got the attack right. And they, there hasn't been a match yet where it's both come together at the same time. So I suppose complete England, the way we're talking about. And, I mean, you can't judge too much from Wales. Because Wales, like, they actually they reminded me of Ireland, say, in in Europe, where it was clearly, by that point, a tournament too far. Maybe that, that player has missed a World Cup at their peak, as we did in 2010. Um, and they were kind of, I mean, they, they made it difficult for England in the first half. And actually, I, I would have questioned Snowgate's Midfield in the first half, but once England went ahead with a free kick, Wales had to come out, and that was kind of that. So it was a bit of a difficult game to judge. I know, and their their last sixteen game on Sunday was a completely different challenge because Senegal are one team that England have never played before. It's possible that he goes back to three centre backs at some stage in the tournament. Is it possible he does it against Senegal, or will he continue with the team that he's used in this tournament so far? Because we were having this conversation earlier. We've, we've talked with Jonathan Wilson a good bit over the last eighteen months or so, and. He makes the point in the big games where Southgate believes that they're going to have less of the ball. He plays three at the back, and that hasn't gone away just because 
this tournament has started the way it has. Yeah, and that a forgiving group. I, for me, it'd be a huge surprise given everything we know about Okay, if he didn't go for three at the back against the bigger nations. Because, I mean, it, it almost creates this sort of contradiction about England in this sense. And obviously, like they're absolutely stacked in the forward position. So many brilliant attackers. I mean, I was actually just watching some Spanish television last night just about to see what they were saying. And we're going on about, the, you know, in awe of the depth that England have in, in the forward line. But the kind of contradiction to that is they are quite thin uh, in the centre, particularly in centre-half. And, and the midfield has been a bit of an issue and it can't quite find the right mix. So to counter that, Serge basically tends to fill those areas to make England difficult to break down at the cost of one or even two of those attackers. So it means we have fewer of his best attacking players on the pitch. And that's, I suppose that's made Mason Mount a bit of a lightning rod because he's a really good player, tactically very good, important for important for how England press and how, how he links the midfield to the attack. But he's not one, he, you wouldn't consider him one of these kind of one of England's better players to watch in that regard, one of the one of the, one of the flair players, kind of the, the lightning attackers, and he he kind of putting that putting a player like that in almost makes Sokate seem more rigid than he is. But yeah, it's it's almost because they've got so many good attackers, Sokate feels the need to actually be more protective. And now, again, there are bigger debates there over whether a coach like Luis Enrique say would actually just completely front load the team because because he play a different approach. But this is Sokate's way, and a lot, a lot of debate about Sokate as well. I mean, it's something that's overlooked in international football, uh, particularly as regards kind of debates over people like Roberto Martinez. And it could yet be influential in this World Cup, but very few top coaches want to manage in the international game. They, like, I mean, Luis Enrique and Hansi Flick stand out because they've had a recent club success and they're kind of only in international football because of circumstances in their career, a little bit like Antonio Conte in 2016. But like Luis Enrique, especially, I mean, if he left Spain now, he'd probably walk into an absolutely top job. Uh, and that's something else that could kind of dictate things over the course of the tournament. And it's where there has been questions about Serge when it comes down to those kind of exacting games against the very best teams or the very best coaches, you might say. He uh, He's always kind of out-thought in some way. It's, it's amazing, Miguel. Like, <clears throat> Marcus Rashford, we've been talking about him a lot this morning and, and like, what a performance last night. And the fact that he's now on three goals, joint uh, top scorer for the tournament... And look, you pointed this out in your match report last night for the Independent. Like the the scary thing is, regardless of his performance last night and the fact that he's joint top scorer, the debate will still rage now as to whether he actually starts the Senegal match. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, and especially given after the, and I suppose this sums up one of the kind of issues for Southgate and also England's strength and depth. That after the Iran game, all the talk was well, we can't leave Sack out. That, that, that was that, that ran through the camp. Um, so, and, and then of course you got the Foden issue, given that that was the one that dominated this game. Um, I mean, when it comes to that, you know, it, it, it does get to those situations where you, where you almost think, well, why doesn't Sergei play three of those forwards behind Kerry Kane, or even well, I mean, a lot of people might say drop Kane, given he hasn't scored yet. That's just not going to happen though. And and Kane, I mean, given he's one of the few number nines in this tournament, he, he's he's worth banking on. Uh, but then, of course, you get to the issue, if Sauke plays three of the forwards to accommodate a Rashford and a Saka or whichever, uh, then suddenly you've either got to go three at the back or the midfield is thin. Um, so, or, sorry, either the either central defensive area or the midfield is going to be thin. So it is the case that Sauke has that issue of almost kind of, there's, there's always one space to fill, no matter what way he configures his team. And that's, that's England's great flaw, really. Yeah, in most countries it would seem like it's a wealth of riches, but it's the, the point you make about the quality of the manager not having won over 
the public to the point where they're like, well, he's obviously the best man for the job because he knows everything about football. And until he wins a World Cup or a major tournament, they're not going to give him that. And like, I suppose. Wait, uh, there is another side to that as well. I mean, like, tactics are only a certain part of it. And uh, like, I suppose to, I, I, I interviewed Patrice Everett before the tournament began. And he was talking about kind of the French squad, obviously. Like, Deschamps' great quality. And Deschamps actually, especially before he won the World Cup in 2018, he received a lot of criticism in France and beyond for being a very rigid manager in the same way that Southgate was. But what Ever said, what we actually really have to realise about Deschamps is when it comes to a tournament, he's absolutely brilliant at rallying that kind of spirit that a team needs. Because that, that even, even in football in 2022, where it's absolutely dominated by pressing and counter-pressing and there's so many technical and tactical aspects and so much sports science, a tournament is such a specific thing because of the way it's, it's such a kind of a, a concentrated period of time. And psychology, as we can see with Argentina almost more than anyone, psychology if it matters more than anything because and teams can suddenly get on that on that run something can click Deschamps is evidently excellent at that but it's also one thing Soke is good at and he's good at kind of capturing the tone around a team and setting the right mentality he's really good with the players a very good man manager in, in that way and I think it's it's something that's often overlooked amid um, amid all the tactical scrutiny on Soke Well if you consider how England have crashed out in previous tournaments where that has not, where there hasn't been a Southgate figure who's been able to manage that properly. Like, basically all the way back to 1990, they've had some misfortune because the manager has not had the emotional intelligence to deal with the players or the players have not had the emotional intelligence to deal with the tournament and they haven't had somebody to be able to help coax them through. And just one last thing before we let you go, the um, the, the Spanish cycle being too early for the Wunderkinds, uh, if it wasn't to be, if they were to to make it, like when you were talking about the Germany game, that game finishes one off. That's a knockout game, and yeah. if that's a knockout game, it could finish four one to either side, and you wouldn't be terribly surprised. Like, and yeah. you, can, you can you can literally write that in your head, like, oh, I see exactly how in extra time the kids decided, yeah, we're going to take this by the scruff of the neck, or one of the kids makes a horrible error and the team collapses. All of these outcomes yeah. are, are possible. But if they were to win, it's like the birth of something brand new. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of, I'm trying to manifest here. The, the, the one thing actually, uh, watching Spain, obviously being half Spanish as well, so being invested in that side, I, like, it's impossible not to compare them to uh, the 2010 Spanish, or really the 2008, 2012 Spanish team that won three in a row. And um, this, they're, they're, they're better than Spain were in 2006. And 2006 was kind of like a learning campaign. This could be similar, but I do think Spain will go for, further. But there's, like, there's an interesting thing there as well. I mean, as I was watching that Spanish game against Germany, it was, yeah, like I, I was thinking about what the 2010 team would do, especially because the 2010 team, I think, were in the kind of public discourse considered more boring. Now, I would always put that down to the fact that because of the way Spain played, everyone sat back, sat deep against them, and it meant that, that Spain just had to pass and try and try and be patient, whereas anytime anyone stepped out, Spain would destroy them as as into Italy in, in, in 2012. But... Um, they, this team does attack in a different way. I mean, they take more long shots. They surge down the flank. They're, they're much more direct when when they're trying to attack, and that's been such a focus of Luis Enrique. Um, you know, but that's at the cost. It can make them a little bit more susceptible. But it did strike me then. Like I, I, I do. This is where the inexperience came in. I think when Spain went one 0 up against Germany in that match, they really I thought they took the foot, the, the, took the feet off the pedals a bit. Um, and kind of got it was as if they felt the group was one. Whereas I think the 2010 team, who were kind of obviously really at a peak in terms of age and where they were in their career, as they did to Germany in that in that 2010 semi final when they went one nil ahead, they would have just absolutely killed them with possession and totally controlled the game. That's something this team didn't do, and it does feel like 
with this Spain, they'll give you a chance. But again, this, it feels like it's going to be the World Cup of chances. And certainly, yeah, with the way, and like there's something bigger there as well, because obviously, like I wrote this in my preview, especially Sergio Ramos has kind of represented this, but uh, I mean, he's he's quite old at this point anyway. But one of the reasons Luis Enrique got rid of players like Sergio Ramos, it's not just to be the star himself, it's for two reasons. A, I mean, this is, <laughs> this comes, comes down to ego, but it does come down to control as well. Young players are much more malleable. Uh, they don't have the, the career, the experience to start questioning the manager on things or compare it to previous managers. But secondly, young players have much more vigour and intensity so they can run in a way that you wouldn't get. And that's become a bit of a kind of a, a theme in club football as well. Um, and so, yeah, Luis Enrique is doing something different in that regard. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Team Enrique for the rest of the tournament. I've decided that's it. They're my team. Miguel, good stuff. Thanks a million. Great to talk Cheers, to you. Lads. Thank Cheers. you. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent moves.